Hi everyone, and welcome to SEDScast. Your host for today's episode is Chad Sarudi, and our guest is Nagar Feher. Nagar is the Vice President of Business Development at Momentus Space. Momentus is a space startup that provides last-mile transportation for satellites. Nagar joined Momentus as employee number 6 back in 2018. Prior to Momentus, she worked at SSL and Lockheed Martin. In today's conversation with Nagar, she walks us through her career, the history of Momentus, and how they are planning to reshape the satellite industry. Welcome to SEDScast, episode 19 with Nagar Feher. This is Chad Sarudi, your host of SEDCAST. Welcome. Today on the podcast, joining me is Nagar Feher. Nagar, how are you doing? I'm doing great. Thank you. We're happy to have you on the podcast today. We're excited to talk about you and Momentous Space. But we always like to start off our episodes with just a little bit of general information. So can you tell us things like where you are, what your current role with Momentous is? Yeah, sure. Um, You know, I try to do as little as possible. It's a a Hmm. great role. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I'm currently our, our vice president of business development, all jokes aside. Um, and I've been with Momentus for almost two years now. In September, it'll be two years. So it's it's been quite a roller coaster since I joined. And I don't know if you want me to go into it right now or if you want to save that for later. But yeah, happy to talk more about Momentus whenever you, you're ready for it. Yeah, we'll definitely get into it later. You don't have to <laughs> okay. worry about that. Yeah. <laughs> And then, so one of the things we find everybody has kind of that story of how they got interested in space. So what is kind of your story? How did you really get interested in space yourself? Yeah. So, um, I'm not one of those people who are saying, oh my God, I saw this astronaut, you know, landing on the moon and that was it for me. No. And I can't necessarily say that I wanted to be an astronaut. I was actually more on the aeronautics side. I always wanted to be a pilot. Um, I wanted to fly airplanes. Every trip I ever took, I loved the airplane ride. And um, that's why I decided to study aerospace engineering. Um, And I did eventually get my pilot's license, a private one for myself. And uh, in the process, when I was going through college, um, I learned that a lot of the cutting edge technologies and development were actually more on the space side than on the aeronautics side. So, you know, I both designed, developed, built, tested, little aircraft, you know, remote controlled aircrafts when I was in school. And then I, you know, through AIAA and other programs. And then I got the opportunity to do a similar thing with space, except we didn't get to launch the satellite at at that time um, or necessarily even build it. It was even as early as just the design phase. And I realized how much uh, more opportunities there were in the space field and how much more advancement could be done and how the opportunities were kind of endless. Whereas with the aircraft, it was like a big deal if you just like added a winglet at the end of the wing and, you know, changed the lift performance a little bit. Um, so it was at that point that I decided, oh, you know, a career in space is probably going to be much more exciting than a career in aeronautics. And since I had my pilot's license anyway, I'd already reached that goal and decided it wasn't great, a commercial career at the time. And I actually, um, from a personal level, like my family was against me becoming a pilot. They didn't want me to be a professional pilot. They were telling me at the time, they're like, we don't think that's a great career for a woman. And I was not happy, of course, with that statement. But, you know, I was just like, well, I'm going to become an engineer. And if I want to become a commercial pilot later, I can always do that. But I'm kind of happy I didn't uh, become the commercial pilot because 
I don't think that's a great career path, honestly. I feel like uh, the direction I went um, suits me better and I'm, I'm much happier doing what I'm doing now than I would have, I think, as a commercial pilot, especially nowadays with the pandemic. <laughs> hmm, yeah, right, really. <laughs> you know yeah, and if, you can still fly whenever you want. Yeah, right? and I can right. go hop in the airplane if I want to and fly wherever I want. So it's nice, much more flexible this way. Yeah, sure. So I noticed, so you said how you got interested in space back in your, in college, even though you'd started out um, in the aviation area. So then what drove you to try to choose Lockheed Martin as a company that you then wanted to work for right after college? I actually, um, I, I did a few internships, um, not necessarily at Lockheed Martin. I did one at Parker Aerospace. I was working on pneumatics for, you know, um, uh, airplanes and uh, actuators there. And I, I didn't find that particularly fascinating. And then I decided to go work for JPL and I did an internship there and it turned into like a co-op and I was there for like six months and I really loved that. And I found, oh, space industry is so much better than the air, airline industry. And, you know, working on even, you know, um, military aircraft wasn't that exciting to me. So that's when I decided to shift to space and I had to choose when I graduated um, from undergrad at Cal Poly between working for JPL full-time or working for Lockheed Martin. And it was a hard decision. I was living in Southern California. Jet Propulsion Laboratory was a very cool place to work. Um, I had a fun job in the systems engineering department. Um, but because I wanted to go to grad school at Stanford, I decided to move up north and work for Lockheed instead. And they had a really nice rotation program. So that would be one thing for everyone in school right now that I would highly recommend is, um, you know, First job out of college, if you do work at a big company, you know, definitely take advantage of any kind of rotation programs they have so that you could try a different job every six months. And that was really nice because I wasn't sure exactly what I wanted to do in the space industry. I didn't know if I wanted to design things. I didn't know if I wanted to build and test or if I wanted to operate satellites in orbit or what or, you know, do analytics, etc. So that was nice. And it gave me the opportunity to do anything from thermal design to um, to testing to integration um, and and see all the different aspects um, and even systems engineering and and that's when I decided um, I liked when at that phase in my career I liked working with hardware designing testing and um, you know launching things so I worked in assembly integration and test for a couple of years uh, until I got burnt out <laughs> and then I moved to SSL yeah, uh, working in an assembly integration and test uh, facility in space is, is quite grueling, um, especially if um, if they're not very good at planning. Um, you work a lot of hours. <laughs> and uh, yeah, I had to, it was, it was so hard that I had to like request my weekends off. You had to work seven days a week, you know, 10 to 12 hour shifts every day. And uh, you were lucky if you got a day off. Wow. <laughs> That's so, painful. Yeah. That's so painful. <laughs> yeah, that was like my first job out of college. It was intense. Um, so after my rotation program, I landed in that. And I actually, I thrived in it. I was really happy doing it. But then after like a year or two, I was just like, I, I burnt out. And I was like, okay, I need some time off. And that's when I decided to go back to grad school. So Okay. Yeah. So rotation programs are awesome, right? It's so yeah. nice to be able to, especially when you don't know what you're doing to get that almost like an internship-like experience within one company 
and to kind of test all those different fields and figure out what you really want to do. That is really cool. But yes, you mentioned before that, when did you know that you wanted to go back to Stanford to pursue a master's degree? So it's interesting, you know, as part of that, you know, rotation program, I worked with a lot of different divisions in Lockheed's and one of them was their advanced research center. Uh, They called it ATC at that time. It was Advanced Technology Center, which was affiliated with Stanford. It was over there in Palo Alto. And I worked with a lot of people who had PhDs. And that's when I felt like, okay, you know, a bachelor's degree is not enough. Um, I should really go back and, you know, uh, get my master's degree so that I can really, uh, you know, work at the same level as everyone else I'm working with. So that's when I decided that, okay, I'm going to go back and and finish my master's and, uh, you know, get at the level that I thought I needed to be at the time. Um, And uh, I'm glad I did. And, um, and I'm glad I, I actually took a break between undergrad and grad school because it gave me the opportunity to try a lot of different type of work so that I kind of had a better idea in terms of what I wanted to do and what I wanted to study in grad school and why and you know where I should go, et cetera. So I would, I would recommend that, but I would recommend a gap between undergrad and grad of not more than a year because then you start forgetting. <laughs> So it was hard after after two years to go back and remember what I had learned in college two, three years prior. Uh, so that made it a little tough. And I decided to go to school part time. Um, so I was working full time and going to Stanford part time. Um, so that would be something I would not recommend. Um, if you can go full time. I would recommend to go full-time because you don't get to take advantage of everything that the university has to offer when you work part-time. Uh, and then you go to, I'm sorry, when you work full-time and you go to school part-time um, because you can't do a lot of the, the lab work. Um, a lot of the classes are online. You don't form those connections with the people, you know, with your classmates. Um and it's just a totally different experience and you don't get as much out of the professors and the whole university environment. So if you can afford to go full-time via scholarships or any other means, I'd highly recommend that. And then it's because it's, it's kind of really hard also to balance, you know, work full-time, especially if you have a hard job and going to school. Um, so that would be one key recommendation is don't, don't go to school part-time. And if you can avoid, uh, Taking all your courses online, I would do that too. Um, it's not it's not the greatest. I did it for three years. I did it before this pandemic and everything else, just because I had to, because I was working during the day, so I couldn't go attend the classes in person. So everything was online. Um, and I would only go to campus like once or twice a week for labs and things like that. Um, and yeah, you definitely don't get as much out of it. You can't ask questions live. You can't, uh, you know work with the TAs and the professors and, you know, everything else. But I'd recommend a graduate degree um, if you want to stay on the technical side. Just do it, try to do it full time and then don't take it online, which for all the people going into grad school part time online now because of coronavirus, good luck. Yeah, it's it's very tough. Um, you know, in, in this time of pandemic, everyone's having to work harder and longer hours just to make up for the the lack of that physical uh, connection and uh, communication. So um, trying to do an online program on top of your full-time job is very challenging. So my hat goes off to anyone doing that right now. But yeah, if you could avoid it, I, uh, I would avoid it. <laughs> sure. And then so after uh, you were at Stanford, 
you then got involved and got hired at SSL, which is now a one of the or one of the uh, Maxar companies. Correct. Can you say how you uh, got involved with them and what brought you to them? Yeah. So, um, like I said, I was at Lockheed for a couple of years, and I got burnt out. And then I decided I wanted to to go back to grad school. So at that time, I was uh, part of the Society of Women Engineers. Um, and when I was there, um, I made a lot of connections with people working at different um, different locations, um, especially in the space industry. And I met someone who worked for SSL and they were saying, oh, you should come work for us. You know, you should leave Lockheed. <laughs> and I was just like, huh, you know, and she actually uh, recommended me for a position in the systems engineering department. And she said, you know, it won't be as intense as your AIT job and you can go to school and, you know, stuff like that. So I did, um, I did take her up on the offer and, uh, you know, it's, it, it kind of goes to show the importance of these extracurricular activities, such as being members of SEDS or Society of Women Engineers or other organizations. Um, I found almost all of my jobs through those type of opportunities, like um, my job at Lockheed, uh, all my internships were through these type of organizations. And I'm very grateful that we have those in the U.S. I know in a lot of other places, they don't have that. So I, I feel very fortunate that we have these opportunities to do these kind of things. Yeah. Yeah. What's the phrase? It's not what you know, it's who you know. So yeah. everybody, if you're not part of SEDS, come join SEDS for sure. <laughs> Great society. Yeah. And you know, you get opportunities through SEDS for, you know, launching your CubeSats or, you know, meeting people in industry and, and finding opportunities for new careers and new career paths you might've never even considered. Like had it not been for Lisa at the time, uh, I'm sorry, no, it wasn't Lisa, it was Laura Fichetti. Um, who was like, Nagar, yeah, you should, yeah, I really love working for SSL. You should come try it. I was just like, I hadn't even considered that. I was like, okay, like, sure. Like, why not? Um, and I'm really happy I did. I actually loved working for SSL and I thought, oh, okay, I'll go work there for a couple of years and then I'll go try something else. And it, it kind of became like this natural rotation program for me going forward. I was at SSL for 13 years, even though I initially intended to only be there for a couple of years. <laughs> Um, and it was because there was, it was like being in a family. They were amazing, very nurturing. And every couple of years when I kind of got bored of doing one job, I switched. I went from systems engineering department to working in the solar array manufacturing side and design side. And then I tried product management and program management and eventually ended up on the front side of the business working on proposals and, uh, and then uh, after that, I, I got to meet the customers and decided to try BD. Uh, but yeah, it was it was a great learning ground for me. Um, and I feel very fortunate that I was able to work there when I did. Now everything, you know, now that they're part of Maxar, everything's very different. Um, but yeah, the time that I was there was, was great. Yeah, right. You even started up a whole new business unit while you were there, that SSL Strategic Ventures unit. Can you talk about how it was like starting up a whole new business unit in like a company? Yeah, yeah, it was it was awesome. It was like uh, we were I was in the um, in our a group that was called um, that was basically under our CTO that was looking for new ways of diversifying SSL because the geocom market was going down and, um, you know, not many people were, you know, buying cable service and using all the um, services that big geocommunication satellites were providing in the past. So SSL was looking for means to pivot. 
So there was a lot of different, um, uh, you know, activities and, and competitions going on internally. And okay, what can we propose that's actually going to be a service we can easily do that takes advantage of um, infrastructure we already have in place? And and that's when I proposed um, a services division that would take advantage of a lot of the uh, test facilities that we had in house. So for example, we had thermal vacuum chambers. We had you know tens of them. We had vacuum vibration facilities. We had um, compact antenna test ranges and everything else that you would need to test a big satellite, which I found a lot of people in the new space world didn't necessarily have in a lot of their shops and didn't have access to that readily. So um, I proposed that we start a services business line to help all the startups that were blossoming around us um, to be able to better test their satellites so they had a better chance of um, operating when they were on orbit, hence reducing the amount of, you know, debris in space and uh, propping up the, the startups around us. Um, and it was a means also for SSL to learn from them on like new ways of doing things. So it was, it was fun. And then we started looking at all other types of services, not just testing and uh, different projects we could work on that um, would enhance and take advantage of the capabilities SSL already had um, while diversifying. Um, yeah, in that in that group, we did a lot of cool stuff. Like we uh, bid on uh, satellite servicing missions. Uh, we won Restore L, uh, which was a satellite that's going to go restore another satellite uh, on orbit and refuel it. Um, we worked on RSGS. That that bid was won as well, but unfortunately, <laughs> later lost um, because it, the plans didn't go through. But yeah, it was it was a great group to work with. And uh, I had a lot of great mentors um, that kind of led me to my career path where I am right now. So um, another advice I would have from, from that learning experience is if you ever feel like your job's getting stale, or you're not learning, or you want to try something new, um, just go for it. Like, don't feel like you're stuck in a rat and that you have to continue doing what you're doing right now for the rest of your life. There's so many opportunities out there. Um, and you may find that you excel much more at something else than what you're doing right now as well. So uh, I'm glad that I, I took that leap of faith and I was given the opportunities to try all these different things. And um, I would highly recommend that everybody else um, try to find their niche and try to find the type of job in the industry they're in that they like wake up loving to do and think about all the time. Not one where you wake up and you're like, oh gosh, I gotta go do that right now. <laughs> so I feel very fortunate to find something, uh, a niche in this industry that I really love being part of. So, yeah. And that's great to hear. That's definitely something. If you can love what you do when you work, it doesn't like that's everything else doesn't matter at that point. It's just, if you're doing what you love, it's become so simple and it's just, you wake up happy every day to do what you do. Exactly. I know it's very cliche, but it's so true. Like I didn't realize how true it was till it actually happened. And I was like, Oh my God. And you know, a lot of engineers, cause you know, at some point I moved from being doing technical work to more business work. And a lot of engineers would be like, Oh, now you've gone to the dark side or, Oh, you know, <laughs> <laughs> how was, so I did want to ask because that's something 
I found myself kind of interested in is like the business side as well as technical. And I know a lot of our listeners are as well. How was that transition from going technical into more of a business role? So I I took a gradual transition because, you know, I was an engineer. I did get my master's in a technical, you know, aerospace engineering type of setting. Um, And I slowly transitioned from being an engineer to a responsible engineer to to through program management and product management. So then I kind of took a step back a little bit from technical and managed the people who were doing the design work and stuff. And then from product management, um, program management, it was an easier transition over to the front end of the business because you started to naturally have to learn about budgets and costing and schedule and, you know, uh, communications and all of that stuff naturally as you become a product or a program manager. And then, um, you know, I tried proposal management and I, I like that too. And then when I started butting heads with the business development team is when I realized that I really wanted to do their job. <laughs> I was like, why, why don't I get along with this guy? I was just like, what, what is it? And I was just like, I was like, oh, I get it. He feels threatened by me. I was like, okay. <laughs> <laughs> you can do his job better than he can. He doesn't like that. I was like, oh, okay. Maybe that, maybe that's a sign. Like maybe hmm. I should, I should try something else. Um, and, and that's when, you know, I started talking to uh, the management about, hey, you know, I'd really love to you know, try doing that. And they, they all agreed. And then they, they naturally let me go do it. Um, and yeah, so I feel very fortunate that I had great mentors throughout my career and people who allowed me to try a lot of different kind of opportunities and do it quite frequently. So I would say every couple of years, I, I got to try a different role until I finally figured out. Yeah. And it took me about... 15 years to figure out what I want to be when I grow up. So I think I finally figured it out. So <laughs> I, I hope everyone else can figure it out uh, much faster than I can, but it was a journey and it was a fun journey. I'm not saying I, I regret anything that I did in the past, but um, yeah, I would say continue your journey until you really land on that type of role. So um, if you're really interested in the business side and you're still in college, um, try internships that support the business side. Um, you know, that would give you a great um, opportunity to try that. Exactly. And then so you moved from SSL over to Momentus. You're now their VP of product and business development. Can you just say a little bit about what Momentus does as a company and then what you're doing for them? Yeah. Um, so Momentus is basically, um, think of it like connecting flights. Um, if you want to fly from New York to Tokyo, or let's say Los Angeles to Tokyo, it's always cheaper to take a connecting flight than it is to take a direct flight. And we're just taking that exact same business model to space. So the first leg of the flight is the rocket, and we're the second leg. So we're doing the last mile logistics to kind of deliver you from wherever the rocket drops you off to wherever it is you might want to go. You might want to go to Mars, you might want to go to the moon, you might just want a different orbit within Leo or Geo or Mio that you can't get to necessarily. Um, so we build the vehicles and, and provide the service for transporting you to those particular destinations. And we not, you know, we're starting out with a whole transportation uh, business model, but we have much larger ambitions to be a whole in-space infrastructure company. Um, so not only providing transportation services, but also allowing people to host payloads in space, onboard our vehicles as, you know, hosted payloads 
Um, we call it our hosting service. Uh, we also allow uh, have ambitions to do refueling depots in space to, uh, you know, you know, like moonshot goals is uh, create big power plants in space, provide power down to earth from space to do um, all types of servicing from uh, refueling to repositioning to repairing satellites on orbit and changing kind of the nature of the industry from, um, you know, kind of a use and dispose into more, I think of it like a more sustainable green with uh, recycling in mind. Um, you know, if you think of the whole recycling symbol, recycle, reduce, reuse, that that's what I would say Momentus is all about. Um, so we, you know, today our vehicles might be disposable, but eventually they're all going to be reusable because we're going to have fuel depots in space. They all run on water. Our propellant is water. So we intend to, um, you know, find water in space as an in-situ resource that you don't necessarily have to launch from the ground all the time. You can mine it off of asteroids and the moon and eventually refuel our vehicles and continue to use them over and over again. Um, we also, like I said, intend to have refueling depots and um, hosting services allowing people to put that up there. And we hope to enable industries like hotels in space and all the infrastructure necessary to support human existence there, which we believe, you know, one of the keys to that is, is water. And we think of water like the next gold rush in space. You know, in California, everyone rushed here to find gold. We think everyone's going to rush to space and look for water because that's what we really need in order to sustain humanity there. Um, so that's like a little tidbit about Momentus. And uh, we're well on our way to accomplishing our first step, which is transportation services. We launched a satellite last year called El Camino Real, which um, was the first demonstration of our propulsion technology called microwave electrothermal propulsion, uh, which is basically like a water plasma propulsion system. Um, and it was successful. And now we have another demonstration plan for the end of this year where we're going to fly um, our vehicle with a Vigoride with a lot of customers on board. And we have four more planned for next year. So we have a lot of flights in, in, um, in our manifest, and we intend to double and quadruple the frequency as we go forward. Right now, we have flights on a quarterly basis, and we intend to you know, make it more than 10 to 12 a year eventually. Um, and we're very excited. Yeah, we're very excited about our product roadmap and where we're going. And uh, yeah, in terms of the key products we're developing, we're developing a uh, a transfer vehicle called Vigoride to address the low Earth orbit satellites. And then we have another one um, called Ardoride, which is for uh, MEO and GEO satellites can take up to two tons, you know, let's say transporting them all the way to geosynchronous orbit or low lunar orbit. And then eventually we'll have Fervoride, which is going to be able to take things up to 10 tons. So like, imagine like you have a big, uh, you know, a, a lunar depot or, um, you know, a habitat module that you want to send up. And they've kind of, our products are designed to kind of scale with the launch market. So as launch vehicles are growing in size, so Starship comes online and New Glenn and other larger heavy lift launch vehicles that can carry 45 tons or 100 tons, our vehicles are going to scale to kind of um, go along with those to offer the transportation services people would need. Because if you think about it, a huge ship in the ocean is not going to just have one um, cargo um, piece on it. It has a lot of these like shipping containers, right? Uh, it's going to be the same thing with, with space. 
you're going to have these huge rockets and they're not all going to just have one payload. They're going to have multiple of when you know, I call them shipping containers just from a shipping industry perspective. It's going to have lots of payloads and they're all going to be ride sharing and they can't all go to the same place. The same way all these shipping containers need to be shipped all over and you have trucks that need to ship them around once the ship docks in the port. So think of us like, um, like the trucks that are going to go transport everyone to exactly where they need to be. And we see the need for this service actually expanding and growing over time as the launch vehicles get larger and larger. That's a great example because it, yeah, it's like as these launch vehicles are going to get larger, they're going to be able to hold more cargo. But at the same time, satellites are shrinking down. You're getting into CubeSats that are taking up a very small amount of space where you're packing in hundreds of these satellites eventually that are all going to need to go to different orbits and slightly different inclinations and things like that. And it's just going to get more and more complicated as time goes on. And Momentus is going to be one of the big companies solving that. That's what we intend to do. And we intend to do it very efficiently, very sustainably with water um, and uh, hopefully very cost effectively. So um, we've been we've had a lot of success so far. I'm very proud of our team. Uh, We have a lot of customers signed up to go with us who are already interesting us. Um, So, yeah, keep keep an eye on the press. You're going to be seeing a lot of press releases from us next week. It's part of the SmallSat conference. Oh, nice. Um, At the time of, this is the end of July, so beginning of August. Yeah, so that's one of the things I did want to touch on. Momentus is not an old company. You guys were, like, started in 2017, and you're already, you've raised 40 million, 50 million in, like, funding. Over 50. Yeah, Yeah, which is just insane in that short of time for a space company. What do you think it is about Momentus that sets them apart from the rest and has made them so successful in such a short period of time when space companies typically take five years to a decade to even get to a maturity level that you guys have already gotten to? Um, I think it's it's the team. I think we have a stellar team. Um, and the leadership, it's, it's very focused. You know, I say we have all these ambitions to do all these things long term. But today, we're 100% laser focused on transportation. So everyone is kind of driving towards the same goal of, okay, we are going to get these vehicles transported in space. And that's all we're going to do right now. And yes, we have a team of people working on our future products. Um, And, you know, it's great that we have that. But I, I would say that one thing that really sets Momentus apart from the other startups is focus. You don't see us pivoting every other day, like saying, oh, you know, today we're going to do this service and a month from now announce, oh no, we're going to do this service. And then two months from now announce, we're going to do something else. And I think pivoting is okay for a startup because you might start up with one business model and then decide, okay, that doesn't work. Maybe I should try this one and that one. And I think once we, we figured out, okay, you know, this, this, the transportation business model is the one we're going to go and we're going to focus on transportation services. We didn't pivot from that. So for example, if somebody came to me and said, Nagar, I want to buy your prop system. I'm like, sorry, we're not selling that. That's not part of our business model. We are a services company and all we do is provide transportation services right now. Now, a year from now or two years from now, I might sell you water in, in space if you need it. And who knows, you know, provide power to, you know, or create a data center in space and a lot of other things. But uh, we're not going to get distracted by that today. We're going to focus on just providing transportation services until that business gets off the ground and is profitable. And, and once we complete that, then, you know, 
we'll, we'll go to all the other ones. It doesn't mean that the development for the other products isn't in, in place. It just means that the whole team is focusing on developing the current product that we are introducing to market. So, um, yeah, and I feel very fortunate to be part of a team that's so focused, so driven. Um, I mean, it's like night and day, the experience of working in a startup like momentous versus what I was doing at SSL. And I've, I've tried both. I've tried really big corporations like Lockheed, where you're like just a number. <laughs> I've tried SSL, where it's still a bigger corporation, but you don't really feel like a number because it's smaller. It's, you know, I went from a 10,000 person corporation down to like a 3,000 person corporation. And now I'm in a startup that has like 50 people. And I joined when there was only like five people. So like employee number six. So it was like night and day going from corporation to startup. And I actually really love this small startup experience because you wear a different hat every day. It's like you're on rotation program on, on, you know, speed. Every week, <laughs> yeah. It's like every day. Yeah. It's like, it's not a formal six months program. It's a daily program. <laughs> it's like, oh, okay. So today you're going to write a contract and tomorrow you're going to be the marketing guru. And then day after you're going to be the legal expert. And then the next day, you know, you're going to, you're going to be a public speaker and you know, it just, the list kind of goes on and on in terms of all the different things that you're going to be doing, um, which I think is very thrilling. And the, the other thing that's very exciting is the flexibility you get and the amount of opportunities. Um, you know, at Lockheed or at SSL, you know, you, you kind of have this one job and the bigger the corporation, the more, you know, um, defined your role becomes and you can't kind of step out of that box. It's like, these are your roles and responsibilities. And this is, this is the kind of area you have to play in. At a startup, because every, everyone's naturally, you know, shorthanded, you you don't have that box that you have to be in. You do a million things every day, and it's 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 a great learning experience. Um, so I'd highly recommend it to people who are driven, who are okay with working a lot of hours. I'm not going to you know um, cherry code and be like, oh, it's it's wonderful, and you know you just have to work 40 hours a week. No, that's obviously not the case, as most people know. You work a lot of hours, but it's not as bad as okay, you have to work every weekend and request your weekends off. <laughs> so. Yeah, right. So it's better yeah. than that, um, but it is. It does require a high level of commitment, um, and there's a lot of excitement around that, and a lot of dedication. Like, for example, if I were to write an email at one of the previous companies, uh, corporations I worked at, like SSL or Lockheed, I would have to wait maybe even up to a week to get a response on some things. People were just so slow, and it was just it would take a really long time to get anything done. At a startup, you get a response almost instantaneously, you know, um, and it's and it's really awesome. And, and, and I'm probably the one that holds up more things than other people at this point. <laughs> so it's uh, it's very nice. And the, and the amount that you can accomplish in a short amount of time is amazing. Like, you know, we decided to launch El Camino Real, this like 16 year cubes at just to demonstrate our propulsion technology. From the moment we decided to do this to the point that that satellite was ready to launch was only six months. Wow. And this was technology that had never flown before. It had been in a, in a lab at Penn State University being researched for 20 years and had never been flown. So we took that, changed the propellant to water did a bunch of ground testing and got it to fly within that short period of time. Now, if I were to want to do that same thing in a big corporation, oh my God, we're talking years. 
absolutely no way you would pull that off in six months now and if you want to take it from a commercial corporation to a government oh my god then you're talking like five to ten years and that was one thing that kind of drove me um honestly away from jpl was i would look at the project like let's say i worked on cassini and some other things and oh my god those projects would take like five to ten years before they launch and, and a lot of people spent their whole career working on one satellite and at the time, I realized that wasn't me. Like, I don't have the patience to wait 10 years until whatever I've worked on makes it to space. So, so if you want fast timelines, if you want, you know, things to happen very quickly and efficiently and um, like cutting edge development, I would think a startup is the place for you. Now, on the flip side, if you don't and, and you like to have a more relaxed schedule and you know, you're not as driven to see whatever you worked on fly in the next five years and you're okay waiting 10 years, then obviously that's not the place for you. It's not a startup. So, uh, and I, I think everyone should try it. Like I was honestly like after working at SSL with the startups in my BD role with small sats, um, that's when I got the itch to try it myself because I was, I was the interface to them and I was trying to expand our business market into the small sat sector. You know, we got some successes when I was at SSL. We got Skybox. We were building satellites for them. And we were trying to expand on that in terms of um, building more small sats. But in the process of learning more about the industry and the people working in it, I was like, oh, my God, I got to do this myself. I was just like, what they're, what they're doing sounds impossible. I got to see how they actually pull it off. And I'm really happy I did. It was a leap of faith. People were kind of shocked. They're like, Nigga, you left SSL to work for a startup? Oh, my God. And I it was great. It's it's awesome. And I felt like, you know, a lot of people ask me after, so how does it feel? I was just like, I felt like I was able to open my wings and fly away and do whatever I need to do to like get there. And it's, and it's a great experience. So I'd highly, I'd highly recommend it. And you know, if you don't find a startup that you really like, start your own. Like it's, it's a great time in the space industry to, um, you know, explore new business models with the cost of launch coming down exponentially and the number of launch opportunities expanding and the ambitions of people wanting to go to space increase. I mean, every industry you see here on the ground should be in space too. There should be an equivalent and there will be eventually. And this is just the beginning. So that's why I kind of made the gold rush analogy earlier, but it's, it really is like that. It's like the new frontier and we're all going. Yeah, it's finally the time for us to get into space. We can actually afford the technology that'll get us there. We have a couple billionaires too who are funding some projects to make it easier for us to get to space. And I, it's funny you mentioned the startup thing because that is something we've talked about in the podcast before, and I've been very open about it. So I've like I worked in the startup, and I enjoyed that internship work so much because it is the same thing you mentioned, where you are just working on a bunch of different projects during the whole course of your internship, you get more freedom in what you do. And also all the work you do feels so fulfilling because you're working at a startup. They don't have the time to have you working on some random like intern projects. You need to be doing work for that startup because they need you to do that. Like that's your job. It's not to be an intern. It's to be a full-time hire almost. And so it's just so rewarding then when you're doing things for the company that you can see getting paid off. You have a little bit more flexibility in what you can do. It is just a really nice space and it's very rewarding to be in that space. Definitely. And, you know, I'll, I'll tell you a little intern story. Uh, last year, we were about 
10 employees at Momentous last summer, and we hired eight interns. We essentially like doubled our staff. <laughs> wow. Okay. And when, when all the interns got hired uh, by our executives, I was like in shock. I was like, oh my God, <laughs> what are we going to do? Like, how are we going to find work for everybody? And it's amazing that the interns did an amazing job. They, like you said, they work just like as hard as the other employees, just as productive. And some of them actually became full-time hires as soon as their internship was over and others kind of stayed on board, kind of like a, a co-op position, helping us a few hours. And, and this year we have 15 interns. So we've doubled it. <laughs> wow. That eight, <laughs> class of eight interns really stood out to you guys. Nice. Oh my God. And they're great. And I'm so thankful for them. And I, I mean, Rachel, uh, who's, who's on this podcast is like the best intern in the world. I couldn't have asked for anything better. Like she literally like went from not knowing what a CubeSat is to writing full on proposals to NASA. So, I mean, like in the matter of a, of a summer, <laughs> it's, it's amazing. Yeah, definitely. So yeah, if you guys are interested and you know, I highly encourage everyone from SEDS to apply next year. We love interns and, and maybe we'll have 30 interns next year. Who knows? <laughs> I was just about to say, you're going to like double the interns again. <laughs> Who knows? You know, um, if our budget allows it, why not? <laughs> um, they're great. And, and it's, it's like great prolonged interview. And, and honestly, like from my college experience, the internships were the were the best things in terms of guiding me in terms of which way I want to go with my career. Uh, the the courses are good, but they don't really show you what you need to know in order to really work or kind of give you guidance in terms of which direction to go in your career because you really have no idea at that point. Um, so try to do as many and as diverse type of internships as you possibly can. Um, and, and startups do take a lot of interns, actually, disproportionately to big corporations. <laughs> That's, I gave you some numbers as examples, uh, just so you can kind of see like, okay, it was, we have a 50% company and 15 <laughs> interns is a lot. Uh, <laughs> so um, yeah, that's why I wanted to share that. 
So I guess you talked about a water plasma thruster technology. I worked a little bit with plasma thrusters at Michigan, but I'd never heard of water plasma thrusters. Can you talk about how that technology works? Yeah. So um, you think of it like you have a, a resonant chamber and you inject water vapor into this resonant cavity. And then you have two chambers. And on the bottom one, you emit microwave energy. So think of like a magnetron or an, an SPC or some sort of microwave generator generating microwave energy and then having that microwave energy gets kind of focused in one chamber and when it comes to the second one which is the resonant cavity it interacts with the water vapor and it turns that water vapor into a plasma so a highly energized plasma it gets really hot imagine like temperatures close to the surface of the sun like that hot and then that uh, kind of energy comes through a converging diverging nozzle in order to generate thrust and um that's how we end up with something that's very efficient, um, that gives you thrust that's you know 10 times more than what you might get with other systems. It's much uh, faster trip times than you would get with any other electric propulsion system. And we consider it to be an electric propulsion system because the source that powers the magnetron is solar panels. So we have solar panels that convert the energy of the sun into electricity that then powers the magnetron or microwave energy generator um, to make the whole system run. So, have you ever tried like putting a grape in the microwave and turning it on mm -hmm. in the kind of, of course, plasma? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Think of something like that. Um, and we also have other thrusters on board uh, that are kind of like steam kettles where you just kind of heat up the water and, and push it out. Um, and those are used more for like um, attitude control type of applications. Um, so we have, you know, Imagine like a main station thruster that goes kind of in the center of the vehicle that's used for raising the orbit, for changing the inclination, for changing the you know sun crossing time. And then we have small thrusters, up to 12 of them around the satellite that you use to make sure that your satellite is exactly where you need it to be um, and that it kind of counteracts all the you know, forces in space that might make you drift away um, from where you want to be. So that's a little bit about the technology and it's, and it's very cool to kind of watch the plume and watch the different colors as the plasma, as it, as it forms from water into plasma, it goes in, in the colors in our brand, actually, you know, we have plasma, genta and delta violet, and they're all kind of built off of the water kind of transitioning um, into this plasma color. And it, it goes from this like pinkish color that we call plasma genta to this purple color that's called delta violet. And, if you look at our logo and stuff, you can see all those colors kind of built in. So, and that's of course, thanks to Cosmos Schema and some of our branding help. I was just about to ask if they had done that marketing for you, because that sounds very good. Yeah, nice. okay. definitely. <laughs> uh, so yeah, um, and and that's another unique thing about a, a, a startup such as Momentus is I think we do spend a lot of time and money and resources on branding, which is not normal for a startup in space, uh, we, we consider it very important. And it goes back to the foundations from our founders who used to be in retail and they see the value in that kind of expense. Whereas if you just have a, a normal engineer start a space startup, they don't kind of see why you have to spend so much money on a website or why you have to hire a branding firm to help you with these kind of things. But it makes a huge difference in the long term. So I, I'd, I'd encourage you to go check out our website. We yeah. even have like a little calculator on there like you would see on Orbitz where you kind of put in, oh, I want to go here. How much is it going to cost? How long is it going to take me? You know, 
and we do all those kind of things on there, fun things too. So nice. Yeah. And then, so one of the cool things too, about your thruster is that because it's water-based, you mentioned it before, but you can actually make it reusable and set up like refueling stations and things like that. How does Momentus kind of envision that refueling process go? And then how are you actually going to use like those vehicles once they've been refueled? And Yeah. So, so today, since fuel depots don't exist in space, unfortunately, um, we can't refuel them, but we anticipate and by 2023 to ha- be able to do this. And we are going to start demonstrating actually rendezvous proximity ops technology um, and use that as a means to uh, dock to a, either a fueling depot or, you know, a water cargo in space that we might have left behind from a previous mission and use that um, water to refuel our tanks and, you know, go further and further into space. And eventually, you know, we have greater ambitions like to go to an asteroid, for example, a lot of asteroids have like 20% water composition, mine the water off of the asteroid, refill our tanks, and, you know, eventually be able to like go to other galaxies, like move this, get out of our solar system and go beyond, you know, and we need to find technologies that would enable you to do that. Yes, there's nuclear, but not many people want to launch nuclear technologies to space. Uh, so <laughs> any alternatives you can find um, are really important. So yeah, we see uh, rendezvous proximity ops technology is very important. We're looking at robotic um, means of you know two arms that would kind of grapple and go on and grab something else and bring it in and, and other means of docking with other bodies in space. It could be a magnetic dock. It could be, you know, um, just a robotic arm, you know, holding one arm and the other one doing the refueling operations. Um, but we have a lot of concepts we're planning to demonstrate in orbit as early as next year. Um, so it's, I say it's on a roadmap, but it's not like 10 years away. It's like two years away. Yeah, right. It's a couple of years away. You said, oh, it's off in the future, but I forgot it's momentous. <laughs> right. So it's only a couple, it's six months away rather than five years. Yeah. yeah so when, when I say this is a future thing, it does, yeah, keep in mind that it's, it's close. You know, we're already working on these designs and we're already planning to launch and demo and we'll make announcements about all of these things on social media and our press releases as we demonstrate them. But yeah, it's very exciting to be able to say, hey, by 2023, I hope to start refueling these vehicles and reusing them. And the way that work would work is, let's say, uh, a small rocket or a large rocket would launch a bunch of satellites up into space. And then we would take our vehicle and, uh, and go and dock to them, do rendezvous proximity operations, dock to them, and then move them to wherever they need to be. So in that scenario, they don't even need to launch with us. They could launch separately from us a year later, but we can go and move them to wherever they need to be. Or let's say they launched a satellite that was a dud and it's just debris. We could deorbit it. We could, you know, repair it if, if possible. And um, I have some some concepts that I'm really excited about, like Frankenstein satellites, where you have like this dead satellite and this dead satellite and these other resources and you put them all together to make, you know, the Frankensat that could do all kinds of things as well. So, <laughs> I mean, honestly, the opportunities in space at this point are endless. And that's one thing I love about this industry is it's so new. There's so many things you could be doing. Uh, I mean, we have customers we're talking about, about like sending uh, crypto nodes to space and, you know, blockchain and space to 
you name it, like anything. <laughs> like I mentioned data centers earlier, but yeah, um, we see a lot of opportunities and we see them happening all within the next five years. Like, I don't want you to think this is going to be 20 years. No, I think all of this that I'm talking to you will happen within the next five years. Yeah, which is just it. That's <laughs> so impressive. It's almost speechless. Like when I think about that, that is really unique in the space industry. That's really cool. One of the things. So, what do you do specifically for Momentus? What is your main role with them? So, my role over time has evolved. Um, I did do a lot on, on on the product and marketing side when I started, and now it's kind of evolved into more uh, business development. Um, so more sales, uh, marketing, um, and, uh, you know, anything that is needed to support the business side. So for example, at, at this stage where, where we completed series A, we're going into series B. It's very key that we have a lot of commercial contracts and government contracts, of course. Um, so I'm very focused right now on, on making sure we can sign as many commercial contracts as possible and make sure that all of our rides are full and that we have all the capabilities necessary to um, get all the product, get all of our customers to where they need to be. So I work with the product development team. I work with our engineering team and with the sales team in order to ensure this happens. So um and this also goes back to the whole momentous being very focused. So in the past, I might've done a lot of other things, but now we're focused on the next round. We're focused on our transportation service. And what we need today to make that happen is make sure we have a lot of customers there. And then we have a whole nother team of engineers in tribes. We call them all of our engineers work in different tribes, um, which is very cool because they can all kind of work independently of each other, but you know, still all have these squads that work together. Um, so I, I get to work with some people from the engineering team. We have a squad that's assigned to support us and, of course, with all the customers as well. So think of it kind of as like the interface between the outside world and the internal world um, to make sure that any requirements and stuff that come in from the outside are satisfied by everything we're doing internally. So anything from writing a proposal to NASA to, um, you know, doing a SEDS podcast to writing press releases, contracts, um, going to conferences, et cetera. So that's, that's kind of what my role has evolved into now. And, uh, and it's fun. Uh, it's fun. I get to meet new people every day. I love that. Um, get to work on, um, you know, our, our, our products and, uh, you know, the pitches that we give, um, and, uh, uh, all the marketing associated with it and uh, rolling out new products to our customer base. Um, so yeah, the latest one that we're working on is uh, a hosting service that we're going to be rolling out at SmallSat um, next week. So um, basically allowing, because we're going to have all these transfer vehicles in orbit and we have extra space on them. So you could plop a solar panel on there and, and test it for, um, you know, six months to a year, or, you know, you have this big deployable, or you have a payload that requires a kilowatt of power, we have this big vehicle that can, you know, host you for that for that period of time. So uh, that's the latest service that we're introducing to a market, which again, as you can see, is a stepping stone. Um, it, it aligns very well with the transportation service model, because it's, it's an asset we've put in space. And now that enables us to keep it in space longer, 
without having to deorbit it to kind of kind of going back to the sustainability reuse scenario. Sure. Yeah. And so I guess going away a little bit from that, sorry, but so I'm interested in uh, venture capital and kind of funding startups and things like that too. Were you a part of that series A funding? I supported it. Um, our founder, uh, Mikhail is uh, the one I, I call, I like to call him our chief equity officer. Nice. Okay. <laughs> Usually when it comes to venture, they want to talk to the founder. So whenever um, the venture capitalists, like, and, and it's a long process. Imagine it kind of like the process of trying to get a job. You have to talk to hundreds of them until you find the right one. Um, it's the same thing with venture. You have to talk to a lot of these people. We gave a lot of office tours. I don't know how many investors I gave tours to um, and talked to. Um, and, and the main interface is usually the CEO who, who talks to them. Uh, but yeah, everyone else just kind of supports the process. So I was definitely there in the support role. And and when I joined Momentus, we hadn't even closed our seed round. We were pre-seed. Um, so we went through actually Y Combinator. We um, completed Y Combinator, closed an $8 million seed round, and then proceeded to uh, raise a $25 million Series A. And we've done some bridge rounds. So now we have like over 50 million in funding. And I think we're going to announce a series B soon. Um, we'll see how it goes with the pandemic, but yeah, that's definitely in the cards soon. And it's actually very exciting, but it's very grueling too. Um, if you like that process, uh, honestly, Chad, and you like that kind of thing, you should look at maybe working for um, uh, an accelerator program, like maybe, um, or a, um, a fund that's focused on space, you know, there's, there's a few of them. Yeah. Yeah. We've, um, we're trying to, or we've probably at this point had them on the podcast. We have a series going where we talk with some of the people who are investing in space. Um, just trying to like get a image on like that whole side of the industry as well. So we've definitely talked to them and it's an interesting space because it's no pun intended because like it's space is such a very, technological and kind of niche area for a lot of people where it's like, it's very specific knowledge in a lot of cases that then a lot of the investors, either they don't have that background or they haven't taken the time to kind of learn about it, but then there needs to be a lot of, or it helps to have a lot of rather like advising and help from like the VC when you're getting these space startups, just because there's so much that has to go into it. It's a very interesting kind of industry at this point. It is. And, you know, um, I, I, I talked to some venture capitalists because I had another friend who was interested in venture and I was asking them, um, so do you recommend that these people who are looking to, let's say, go get an MBA and then, you know, see a future in, in investing in venture to enter in a venture capital firm? And, and funny enough, the advice I got back that I then relayed to my friends was no. You shouldn't go intern for a venture capital firm. They said it's actually much more valuable to a venture firm if you've worked for a startup and have that experience than if you have an internship at a venture firm, because then you can advise the venture firm that you eventually go work with on all those experiences, and you can better advise the um, portfolio companies because you actually have some relevant experience there. Would you attribute a lot of that? Or like some of that too to why Momentus has been so successful oh, yeah. as a company is because you feel like your founder and CEO understands what it actually means to start a company rather than an engineer who had a great idea. Definitely. 
he's he's mm. like a serial entrepreneur. He's been doing businesses since he was in college, um, and very successfully. Like imagine, like he used to run businesses very similar to like commercial chains like Bed Bath and Beyond in other countries. Like, um, and he started the first space company, private space company in Russia, and um, he has a lot of experience. And once he left and he came to the U.S. He helped co-found Astro Digital and Helios Wire, which was acquired by EchoStar and uh, numerous other companies. So he has a lot of experience. And honestly, like that really, really helps because let's say, for example, when COVID happened, he knew exactly what to do. And I was just shocked. Like the pandemic happened, everything shut down. A week later, we were already like, I remember how I mentioned focus. We were already on track in terms of, okay, this is the plan. This is what we're going to do. This is what you're going to do. This is what you're going to do. This is what you're going to do. And this is how we're going to continue operating remotely. And I'm just like, wow, like it, it didn't even take a week. And we were already on track to doing everything remotely. And, uh, you know, we had a business rhythm and, um, any, and people like that are not shy to change. Like, Yep, we might have been doing this whole plan up until now, but yep, now now the industry has changed and everything's changed. So now we're all going to do this. Yeah, because you need to as a startup. You don't have billions of dollars to throw away. If the market changes, you need to take advantage of that when it does. Yeah. Yeah. So we're not afraid to, I don't know, like completely change the the design to adapt to the way the market's going. And, you know. Of course, the engineers' minds get blown every time this happens, but, <laughs> you know, it, it takes a strong person with that level of experience to guide a team through a time like this. And I feel so fortunate. And that was actually one of the reasons I decided to join. As I said, it was a big leap of faith. There was only five people. And, and that, that first satellite was built with five to six people. It's, it's amazing. Um, and I'm really happy that... Um, I made that choice and he was just so inspiring. Like I met him at, at this small sack conference two years ago and, and I had met him previous to that, but after like talking to him and like kind of learning more about his experience and I, I actually like looked at his pitch that he was going to give to Y Combinator to get selected and, you know, all that stuff and like reviewing it at that early stage and looking at what type of a thinker he was and what kind of a leader he would be. I was just like, oh, this this makes complete sense. We should totally do it. Um, and uh, I think that's key. So let's say if you decide to go start a startup when you graduate, find a co-founder who has a lot of experience with base business. Do you know what I mean? Like it takes a lot of knowledge and a lot to run a company. It's, it's not as simple as, oh, I have this great idea. I'm going to go do it. A million people have great ideas and a lot of them fail. And it's because of not having the knowledge of how to manage it. How to grow a team is another really important skill. How to know when to spend your money and when to hold back. You know, like, for example, now in the pandemic, extending a runway for a startup is really important, right? So, you know, as soon as such a thing hit, any company that didn't start cutting back spending immediately, you're saying they're like going bankrupt. So... It's all of these kind of things that matter and are really key to the success of a company. And these are all things that I'm fortunate enough to have learned in the past two years as part of this experience with Momentus, which had I stayed at SSL, I wouldn't have learned hmm. any of this. So, Yeah, just another reason to make that jump. Because, yeah, I in this case, you just made such a great decision to go to this awesome company that's going 
you could have, if you're a startup, you can be like one web and you can go bankrupt and have awful, or you can be like momentous and go with this great route where you're making a lot of awesome progress and staying focused. Yeah. And, and, and having a small focus team, I think is key too. Like, yeah. Could we have hired a hundred people? Yeah. Did we? No. Like, you know, and, and the fact that we've even quadrupled is, is amazing. Like I thought that, you know, as I said, last summer we were only 10 people. <laughs> um, so we've already grown a ton. Um, and, uh, you know, that's another thing to be mindful of is at what rate do you want to grow? Um, the business plan is really important and having one that actually makes sense. Yeah. And interns are cheap too, right? They're nice and cheap employees. Exactly. Yeah. But you know what, what I found, it's not just, it's not just that they're cheap. They're actually, it's, we pay our interns. I, I, I'm not going to say like really well, but we, we try <laughs> given the startup budget. And you know, in a lot of under industries, they actually don't pay interns. Like my sister's in the fashion industry and they don't get paid. Um, but I, I think it's not just having the, the additional resources. It's the new perspective that the interns bring. Like, uh, one project that we had uh, Rachel working on was how do you how do we work closer with universities? Like, what can we do to partner better with them? What can we learn from them? What could we provide them, and vice versa? And if I were to do this, not being in a university setting myself, it would be really hard for me to do. But having interns that are already living that makes it much easier. They they bring new fresh perspective, new energy, um, a lot of. Um, a lot of help naturally, which basically helps the company in, in the long run. And I think it helps the interns too, because they get to learn a lot in the progress in a very short amount of time. And I wasn't joking when I said she wrote a NASA proposal, starting from not knowing what it keeps I was, she actually did. And, and, and winning proposals. Oh, nice. Congratulations. Yeah. And I guess that's a pretty good segue too. So we are getting to the end of the episode. Um, and I just wanted to thank you so much for being on the podcast. Uh, it's been a pleasure talking with you and hearing about what Momentus does and then also talking just about startups in general and interns and everything with that. It's been a really great talk. And so one of the things we like to ask all of our uh, guests before they go is we are a student-run podcast and we are targeting students. So do you have any advice for engineering students, say, who are at university looking for an internship, as well as maybe even some non-technical students who are looking to get involved with space? Yes. Um, I would say you should uh, reach out to any company, like do your research, find companies that look interesting to you, startups or big corporations, try all of them. I would say don't just work for a startup. Don't just intern at a startup. Intern at various different size companies, various different types of um, sides of the business. And Aim high, even if the corporation or startup doesn't have an internship program listed anywhere, reach out to the people that work there. And a lot of times to get hired, we had interns that reached out to us before we even had an internship program saying they wanted to intern for us. We have a lot of people who just like reach out to us like, hey, we want to intern. And we're like, oh, okay. You know, like this was before we even had an internship program. That's how some of our first interns came about. <laughs> we're like, okay, sure. It's like we didn't have a lot of like business interns before and now we do which is great um so um that's what i would recommend like shoot for the sky you never know if if you get it you get it and if you don't you know at least you tried so any company is probably willing um and uh network 
networking, very key as much as possible. It's great through organizations like SETS, engineering organizations, AAA, any organization you're part of, you, whenever they have evenings with industry that you can go and participate and meet people, making the connections. You know, the, the, the analogy I like to use with networking um, is uh, if you're hiring somebody to come work on your house, let's say it's a cleaning lady or a painter or whatever, you don't just pick somebody based on what credentials they have online. You ask for recommendations. You talk to people. You don't let them just in your house. And it's the same thing with a job. When you're trying to hire somebody, if you know them, and if you know somebody who um, recommends this person, that goes a long ways. You could have all the credentials you want on your resume, and then might, might not make a difference because that doesn't say anything about your work ethic. And that's actually, in a lot of cases, more important. Yeah. Yeah, that's so, great advice. Knowing people and and networking means that. It's not just, hey, I'm connected with you on LinkedIn. It's no, that I know you, I've worked with you, I know people who've worked with you, and they are vouching for you, and, and that that's really important. Yeah, or you start a podcast and you get to meet people that way. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah, thank you. That's great advice. Thank you so much for coming in the podcast, Nagar. It was a really great speaking with you. All right. Thanks, Chad. Take care and good luck to you. Uh, yeah. And so with that, thank you guys for listening and we'll talk to you next time.